0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.
1: In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by BlueBotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit AntDriven.com, that's A-N-T Driven.com, to learn more.
0: Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide, from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain
1: resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their
0: 20 plus sports activities wellness programs you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family so book your next getaway with club med visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor
1: what in the world is happening on wall street economic
0: indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? John is sitting here laughing at my
2: uh, <laughs> pathetic <laughs> toolbox. There's not even a proper screwdriver in it.
0: We had a problem with the mics before we started. We, like, we have a problem with everything. It's just after Christmas somewhere, you know, we're hanging really. And uh, John said to me, do you have a screwdriver? And I looked at him it, it was... Something I had to contemplate and think about for a long time. I said, well, maybe if you look in this toolbox, which is a shoebox, actually...
2: No, it's a Black & Decker box, so it looks good, but it's actually there's nothing
0: in it. But it's not a Black & Decker. All it's all promise. It's nothing no, no, in it. Exactly. No execution. It's a Black & Decker. I'm now looking at a cardboard box, though. It's not actually even <laughs> one that suggests there's anything in it. Anyway, uh, maybe my New Year's resolution were to become a handyman.
2: <laughs> DIY Dave.
0: That could be me. I had a character called DIY Declan in The Pope's Children years ago. That could be me, DIY is- Declan. You, you will be seen in Woody's every Saturday afternoon discussing the groove in with your wood, loyalty, card with my loyalty card exactly looking manfully at other men who, who understand the sort of the wear of machines there is a
2: type of man that goes to woodies just to window shop oh yeah
0: oh yeah no DIY just to hang out there's a sort of a manful jealousy amongst DIY type of individuals about the quality <laughs> of one's installations. And maybe this is what we're going to do. Now, I, was, I was stopped on many you?
2: occasions <laughs> by putting up shelves. All old books. You know, anytime I put up a shelf, you had to have, Bookends. Yeah. And it wasn't just for because they look nice bookends. Things because things fall down. It's on a
0: slope. <laughs> yeah, maybe because okay. New Year's resolutions, John. 2022 <laughs> will be the year of bookshelves, <laughs> DIY, going what, to Woody's. What do you call those things? By the, the way, just for uh listeners who are not in Ireland, Woody's is an Irish DIY shop, doesn't travel, but I'm sure the UK and the, the US, I, the US is the home. Of the DIY, yeah, man. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: you know, uh, so maybe no, I don't think 2022, I couldn't be ours. Today.
2: No, 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 if we haven't done it till now,
0: yeah, I think that's it, yeah. But I tell we, you what, we, we should don't. do, we should get fit. I just played a game of soccer, yeah, <laughs> just the other day between Christmas and New Year up in Kilboggett Park, you know, Cabo and Cabin, yeah, 20, and we turned up our gloriously uh, unfit outfit, not a pretty sight, <laughs> and we were playing a bunch of lads who we expected to be our age, but they were. Young fellas. Yeah. Aerial uh, bombardment is all it was. <laughs> it was shocking. And we had to get three of their right, lads at half time so to play with us because so we were so
2: bad. You were as good as Leeds then, are right? you?
0: Leeds shipped a lot of stuff. <laughs> shipped a lot of goals. Leaky defence, I think it's Leakies. called. Leaky defence. How are you, Sunshine? Are you good? I'm good.
2: Yeah, yeah. Got over Christmas. Uh, still feeling... Got over that
0: Christmas, please. That Christmas. Exactly.
2: And uh, yeah, it was good. Hey, I got a set of drums you did not well actually for my birthday which is just before christmas
0: you got a set I, of drums well you know mac
2: now in fairness <laughs> you know, as, mid, in, as, as midlife crisis go I, I it, well in all modesty i am probably i would say without question the best air drum in the world you are very, i would say i yeah
0: i'm saying right up there. now that you actually say it <laughs> i do have an image of you playing air drums air drums yeah. It's the way forward. The chin extractor, the air drums, the whole thing going on. But
2: now that I got, now they're e-drums. They're proper e-drums. And uh, proper e- e-drums, e- e-drums are, are, are pads as opposed to the full acoustic kit. So you're
0: not going to destroy every so I stick the eardrums.
2: Yeah, exactly. I stick the headphones on and go. So I got those thinking, now I can fulfill my John Bonham uh, Taylor Hawkins you <laughs> who's know, too, who? I know John Who's Taylor Hawkins Taylor Hawkins is uh, One of the best drummers In the world He is Foo Fighters Okay Yeah right. Brilliant drummer brilliant, brilliant drummer
0: You know Fantastic Speaking drummer Speaking of Foo Fighters Wasn't Dave Grolch a drummer
2: yeah, another amazing drummer. And then just decides banner. to
0: pick up the, the yeah, guitar just, and pick up the whole thing. Yeah,
2: he's just a little bit too talented. He's very talented, isn't he? So anyway, I, I get the Go drums on, so and, I, right, and okay. I stick on the headphones, set, take ages setting them up and all the rest, and then stick on a song, play along with a few of the songs that I wanted to play along with. And man, it's a different story. It's hard. <laughs> It is really hard. Yeah. Sticks flying everywhere, just all over the place. I have
0: this. Uh, I have this image of John trying to uh, channel his inner Larry Mullen <laughs> up in the bedroom.
2: <laughs> that is my New Year's resolution, or one of them. One of the many is I'm going to become not just a brilliant air drummer, but a brilliant drummer by the
0: end of the year. Larry, if you're listening and you've got nothing to do next Saturday afternoon, <laughs> you can come down here and give, give a, give few a, a grind and a few, a few elementary lessons in drumming from the master that is John Davies. Let us look ahead, though. 2022, what is your resolution?
2: Learning drums, uh, losing the bag and getting fit.
0: Okay. That's, that's it. Yeah. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. We, yeah, we, we, can, we can lose the bags, the Neds together. Yeah. We can have a Ned-tastic competition, <laughs> right? Who's, who's sucking in the Ned most exuberantly for the whole thing? But it's going to be fascinating. I tell you, it's the 100th anniversary of the publication of Ulysses. Oh, yes. So yeah. I am going to read Ulysses back to front, top to finish. Tried it a good few times, got through most of it. Yeah. But now I'm going to get through the whole thing because I'm going to write something Oh, you're doing this thing for... I'm going to write something yes. about it, and I am going to invest in Joyce this year. Yeah. And Listen, do you know
2: what? Don't bother reading the fucking book. Just get it on audiobooks. You'd be fine. I've, I've, I've done the audiobooks.
0: Oh, have you? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, But now I want to go through it and annotate it and go through those to get it. You know, I read it years ago, right? But yeah. I didn't really... I kind of got it. It was a bit pretentious. Yeah, yeah. But now I actually want to go through a pen and actually get all the little references yeah, because there are so many and it's phenomenal. And then I'm going to be nauseatingly boring
2: doing Joyce,
0: right? The (laughs) economics of Joyce. (laughs) Think about it. The economics of Bloom and all that malarkey. But it's going to be fascinating. You know, this year is the third year. Don't want to put Debbie Downer on things. Right. It's the the third year of COVID.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, listen, it's also, by the way, going to be a COVID-free podcast.
0: Okay, that's it. Yeah. You promise it. me.
2: Yeah. Absolutely it is. Unless something extraordinary happens. Okay. It's COVID-free podcast from now on. End of story. Yeah. And we're on.
0: gonna we're gonna celebrate all good things in the economy, like the potential Russian invasion of uh Ukraine, the what? potential Chinese invasion of yeah. Taiwan. No, actually one thing we will watch, John, is last year saw the biggest amount of corporate deals in ever right so there was so much money in the economy the global economy yeah. chasing all these things like from bitcoin to nfts to m and a to all these tech stocks i know another tech stocks fell quite rapidly towards the end but there was a general sense that last year was the year in which the global economy was just full of money right and this year that might all change because the fed is going to change its interest rate strategies now people would think Surely little small changes in interest rates don't don't really have big, big implications, but they do. And the reason they do is because when everybody's leveraged, when everybody's borrowed so much, yeah. a tiny change in the marginal cost of borrowing can profoundly impact on the expectations of the future. So we're going to watch that. Okay. So,
2: so just very quickly before we go on, why was last year full of mergers and acquisitions and... Okay, money sloshing point. around
0: right. so what happens is when companies run out of ideas they buy other companies right? right this is my this is my interpretation right right and if there's loads and loads of money sloshing around the amount of companies that can buy other companies increases and the prices of these go through the roof now the reason what happens is you get in all big industries, all industries, you know the way economists talk about competition and la la la, and mm. you hear these free marketeers saying competition is good and the corporate sector is competitive and la. It is, but the natural disposition and the ultimate aim of all companies is to become monopolies, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, then yeah, you yeah. can actually you have that pricing power at the end. Yeah, you can squeeze the consumer. You can generate lots of profit. But that is the natural state of capitalism,
2: isn't it? It's it it tends towards well. Monopolies. It tends to towards to monopolies. And then they're broken up. And
0: then it tends towards monopolies. And then our friend Schumpeter. So basically Marx would have said that capitalism tends towards monopolies. And through that are the seeds of its own destruction. Yeah. But our friend Schumpeter, from the same kind of general neck of the woods, Central Europe, et cetera, said, no, what actually the essential fact of capitalist economics is that monopolies are broken up not by regulation, but by better products. That basically, you take the great example is in the last 15 years, the iPhone versus the Nokia. So 15 years ago, Nokia was probably the world's most recognized brand of telephone. Yes, yeah. And Apple had never made a telephone. And the great Shumterian moment was when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. Yeah. And in one introduction, destroyed Nokia. And now it's only the... Uh,
2: and BlackBerry.
0: And BlackBerry, yeah. CrackBerry. Do you remember what they were called Crackberries because all the, the, yeah. all the executives are addicted to them. They're like crackheads <laughs> yeah. on their Crackberries. And now Nokia is only the phone for drug dealers. Yeah,
1: yeah, the yeah. The burner yeah, yeah. phone, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Which I presume is a market. So you know, there's there's a little niche there. In it, seems, it seems like a rather large niche. Anyway, so there is a tendency towards monopoly in existing companies, but the way in which the economy revives itself is through this Shunterian process of... What he called creative destruction yeah. the gales of creative destruction so they're always fighting with each other but the large companies will always try to monopolize their sector so how does that happen it tends typically to happen at this stage in the cycle the economic cycle by buying other companies so what basically happens is larger companies get a huge amount of leverage borrowed money from private equity houses Mm. or from banks or from financiers in general, that enables the takeover. What they do is they usually dangle sweeteners in front of the chief executives and the shareholders of their companies, right, to say, if you sell out now, we will give you a price you never expected. And that's what happens. Now, why is this all related to interest rates? It's because the amount of money sloshing around is predicated on the rate of interest yeah. what people don't seem to understand is there is no cap on who creates money so we always think that central banks create money that's who's printing money the central banks mm. that's actually not how it happens banks create money money that didn't exist so yeah. for example if you decided to, like, back to your drum kit john if, oh, you yes. decided to, if you decided to migrate from the e-drum kit to the a real drum kit, right? Yeah, and you'd got one of those big, resplendent nineteen seventies sort yeah. of
2: lovely Gretsch
0: Emerson Lake yeah. and Palmer sort of drum kit. Okay, right? Imagine yourself behind that. Yeah, a pee behind these huge yeah. drums.
2: I see myself more as a Keith Moon there, okay, but anyway, a Keith
0: okay. Moon, a Keith Moon, right? And you said, okay, and they, I presume, cost ten grand or something. They're probably very expensive, are they? Drum kits.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: And you said, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bank. Yeah. And you go to the bank and you say, I'd like a drum kit. Uh, I'd like to borrow 10 grand for the drum kit or five grand for the drum kit. And what the bank does is say, okay, John, that's fine. And it credits your account with five grand. But it's five grand that didn't exist yesterday.
2: Yes. You created
0: the money. And then the bank facilitates that. And of course, there's no money. They just simply credit your account. So when you go into the drum shop, the money has been created in your account by the bank, not by the central bank. Yes. Right. So banks create money in, in our new system. What people really fail to get their heads around because I think it's difficult is that money is created out of nothing, right? It's created out of the demand for money. The demand for money then is a function of your yearning for the drums and the cost of money, which is the rate of interest.
2: Okay, can I just stop you there? A bank can only loan so much out because don't they need to be, they, isn't there a ratio? They bill? have
0: capital requirements, Yeah. right? they have capital requirements, but that is quite separate from their ability to create deposits, create actually money. What they need to be able to do is show that they have liquid assets, right? Yeah. Which are a certain ratio of their loan book. But they can also create those too because what they can do, the bank can do, is they can give you money and then they can go and borrow money from somebody else. So in fact, their liquid assets can go up as their balance sheet expands, and that's, of course, where right. banks go bust, okay. right? Okay. But okay. the basic idea of money is that it's created by banks, right, and financial houses, and yeah. people who have a license to do so. Now, if you think, okay, what then explains all these mergers and acquisitions at the end of the cycle, at the end of every econ- economic cycle, a great way, okay, and a great way of looking at it is a great expression, which is the best, or sorry, the worst economic decisions are regularly taken in the best of times. So there's loads of money around. It seems like the best of times, right? Yeah. So your NFTs and your Bitcoins and your this, that, don't worry about income. It's going to change the world, you know, right? The best of times prompts the worst of decisions. And in the mergers and acquisition space, what you find is that those huge mega mergers that we're seeing at the tail end of last year, okay. Are a function largely of over-optimism about the future. Right. And when over-optimism is fueled and financed by cheap money, what you tend to get is paydays for shareholders, right? this is, And then, of course, this hits equality. The people who own capital get richer, all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what we're seeing yeah. at the end. Now, what I'm saying is cycle is about to turn. The rate of interest is about to turn, it seems, in the United States. And the question then is what our friend uh, Warren Buffett, said it's only when the tide goes out do you see who's swimming in the nude right <laughs> so imagine the credit is like tide ebbing and flowing ebbing and flowing in and out and in and out yeah. right let's just see how many of those mergers look really good this time next year or the year after because many of them are a function and many investments yeah. are simply a function it's, it's again as it's, i come back to our obscure investments the more as investors say, the fruitier end of the spectrum. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And we will see what happens. We will see what happens. So it's actually Schumpeter then.
2: He's your man. He's your man who, it's all about innovation. Yeah. And there are relentless gales of creative destruction. I love it. I love it.
0: Well, no, I mean, yeah. If you think about ideologically, John. Yeah. The battle is between Marx on one hand and Schumpeter on the other. And everyone else floats around the middle, right yeah and Marx's view and most socialist view is that capitalism is inherently monopolistic, it is inherently enriching of the very, very few, and it is inherently bullying of the many. and the and the mechanism through which capitalists exercise their power is the corporation. so so, so then, the corporation is evil, right? Yeah whereas Schumpeter says on the contrary, right entrepreneurs, inventors, innovators, capitalists are constantly innovating. Yeah. And the mechanism through which they innovate is the company. The company is the liberating right. force. So, so so
2: Marx, so the big flaw in Marx basically is that it's just a snapshot and he doesn't take into consideration the, you know, people thinking and coming up with new ideas and innovation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he also, he was, we forget he was, he was a man, a revolutionary character, who wrote his first great work, The Communist Manifesto, which is a mercifully small book. Yeah. I actually have a copy here, John. You do. I'm sure you right? do. I do, I do, right? Yeah. Which I actually gave my son for Christmas when he was about 14. Oh, God. Oh, and he's like, oh I God. heard that. He says, which I, amazingly, I bought a copy of The Communist Manifesto in America. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. In in the in, bargain no, no in a bookshop in Burlington, Vermont, home of Bernie Sanders. Ah, well uh, then, there you go. There that was you probably go. his old there copy. Is, it's <laughs> a beauty. But there's an amazing the opening line, right? Yeah. Published in eighteen forty eight, year of rev- revolutions we have over here in Ireland, yeah, all over Europe. A spectre is haunting Europe, John. Spectre of communism. All the powers of old Europe have entered into a holy alliance to exercise this spectre. Pope and Tsar, Metternich and Guizot, French radicals and German police spies. That is Jeez. the opening
2: lines. That's right up there with Dickens. It was the best of times, <laughs> right it was the, best times. It was the worst of times. And I'm just
0: thinking about what poor children have I brought up, when they read this stuff. But so
2: was, was, they saw it as punishment. I'd yeah,
0: say, yeah, it's like, oh no, damn, <laughs> go to your bed and read, <laughs> <laughs> it read the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> and he's like, can I not play FIFA? <laughs> can I not play GTA like everybody else? <laughs> no, you will read the Communist Manifesto. So he, over the, on one side, and then we have our friend Schumpeter on the other and I suppose what really is the distinction between both is their perceptions of the company so Marx sees the company as a tool for the subjugation of the masses Mm. Schumpeter sees the company as the very liberator of the economy and people because it's through the company which is a financial structure and a social structure that all these great Innovations and inventions become products. Yeah. And the nub of innovation is when kind of improbable ideas catch on. That's what I think it is, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, wouldn't that work? Wouldn't that be interesting if that worked? And then suddenly, fuck, oh, we have a problem. Where do we go? Right. It's like our improbable podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's an improbable (laughs) podcast.
2: But it's interesting, though. I mean, uh, a little while ago, we had Mike Furtick on mm. talking about innovation and the gales yeah. of destruction and all that kind of stuff, but he was saying that it's it's so much more prevalent in America and Europe is lagging big time in creating these new unicorn companies and innovative. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, he did, he did, and interestingly, there's a lot of innovation going on in Europe but there's also a lot of innovation going on in Ireland, right? right. Because if we were to, to sit back and say, oh, well, then our kind of goose is cooked, so to speak, right? That basically, it's, it's only Americans can do innovation. Mm. But that's not the case. That's not the case. So why don't we talk to somebody who's at the face of innovation here, a guy called Patrick Walsh, the CEO of Dogpatch down in the docks, which is an innovative hub. And let's talk to Patrick and see what's going on in Ireland. Patrick Welch, how are you? I'm great. It's great to
1: be here, David.
0: Yeah, uh, Listen, great to talk to you. Now, tell me, Mike Fertig was on a couple of weeks ago saying that there wasn't a really good startup culture in Europe. Tell me what's actually going on here in Ireland. You're down at the, uh, the CHQ building, which is down in the Docklands. Tell me about Dogpatch. Tell me about what's happening in Ireland and tell me why you would think that actually there is a startup culture here and it is actually going somewhere.
1: Yeah, well, Dogpatch is—it's uh, a startup pub. We're located in the CHQ building in the heart of the the Dublin Docklands. So there's about 150 startups, about 500 people there. They—it's kind of space and events and incubators, and we run Ireland's national startup accelerator. So we've had kind of unicorns like Intercom go through there, and they're sort of now in the old Anglo-Irish building. So uh, sorry of sort of how Ireland's evolved. Um, and we're part of this kind of global network of hubs and there's a regional network of hubs. So we're sort of like a bus station for for entrepreneurs, David. But it all started for me down in in this kind of empty furniture store back in 2014. I was walking around the Docklands and really wanted to create a, a place for startups, you know, the likes so of what you have in San Francisco, and for it to be beside all the Googles and the Facebooks that you have down there in the Docklands. And the CHQ. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's this beautiful 200-year-old building, the first fully iron cast building in the world, whiskey bolts below, and in many ways, it's sort of a microcosm of, of Irish economic history in some ways. You know, if you were to go in there in the 80s, it was a cheap car park. And then in 2006, the Irish government put 50 million into it to make it a high-end sort of Prada-Gucci shopping centre. A real sign of the times. Well, yeah, as I, was, I was about to say
0: that, that that that's great, inspired economic thinking, isn't it? To subsidise <laughs> yeah. Prada and Gucci. Yes, yeah, so I remember yeah. that, and it is beautiful. Go on, then. And then what happened?
1: Yeah, maybe a case study on why government shouldn't build Prada Gucci shopping centres. Uh, look, it launched, and then you know, of course, it didn't work. And then two years later, it's two thousand and eight. The financial crisis came, and it really didn't work. Right, and it sort of lay there, sort of vacant for a few years, and sort of, I think they were losing a million a year just keeping the lights on kind of thing. And so they decided to just get rid of it. And they put it on the market for 10 million euros in around 2013 or so, which, you know, I mean, it's just worth considering, like 50 million in, site value. In a parallel universe, this thing is worth 70 million quid. And that's just how bad things were back then in Ireland, that you'd sell something for 10. There was only one bidder at 10 million euros as well. This man called Neville Isdale, who was born in Downpatrick and went on to become the global CEO of Coca-Cola. And he he, he really felt that Ireland was turning the corner back then. And so he was the guy, along with his brother Mervyn, that I pitched one morning, this idea of taking part of his building and uh, putting a startup hub in it so today you have this really interesting building where at one end you have the this museum which showcases all these Irish who went out and shaped the world. Yeah,
0: the Epic Museum. I've actually been in it. It's a really it's a it's a very yeah, big it's museum. amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you know there's, there's this, this this incredible and a lot of them are, are entrepreneurs who went out and shaped the world as well and the, and the stories of them. So it sort of gives you a sense of belief of 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 just how much we have impacted and shaped the world. And then, of course, on the other end, we're, we're, you know, from the same vaults that we were exporting whiskey from, we're now exporting innovation and trying to create a platform for, for entrepreneurs a long way from the notions of Pratt and Gucci. And there's a lot of activity in the Irish ecosystem and there's a lot of activity in the European ecosystem as well. And, and so that's what I've been doing for the last seven years of my life, I guess.
0: Well, Patrick, the idea that, that the building is a microcosm of the priorities of the country over the last 15 years, I think it's a really interesting way to look at things. Tell me now, a lot of Americans, not just Mike, who was on the other the other week, but a lot of Americans say, "Look, you know, the Europeans—it's old. Europe is not innovative. It penalizes risk taking, and they they compare and contrast various different metrics." But you know, their basic idea is the Europeans aren't innovating in the way we should be doing. What do you make of that?
1: Well, you know, look, with my European hat on, I suppose there there still is definitely some work to do, and I so I listened to what Michael Furtick had to say and. And to some degree, he might have been right sort of five years ago about entrepreneurship in Europe. But I think what's happened since then is we're talking about it. There's been this complete acceleration. I mean, European startups is is on fire at the moment. There was this big report came out last week, and John Collison was talking about how five years ago, you could have taken all the unicorns, these are billion-dollar startups, and literally put them around the one dinner table, and they would probably bemoan the state of affairs. Now you would need an auditorium to take the three hundred and twenty-one unicorns that we have. These are European unicorns. And they would unicorns. tell a completely different story. This is European unicorns. These are European unicorns. And, okay. and you know what's interesting about that? Yeah, you know, three hundred number is that a hundred of them were created in the last twelve months alone. So wow. you know, it's it's you know you have the Revoluts, the Spotify's, the N twenty six, the Lilium Jets, who are who are really showing what's possible at a European level. You know, there's 10 times the amount of funding this year will go into startups as 2015, right? I mean, three times what went in last year alone. So it's just, you know, and and another part of that, which is there's this notion that Europeans were sort of afraid to go read, to think really big with tech companies. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that was the great American thing, you know, Go big or go home. And if you if you don't have an American scaling mindset, you, you don't really make it. And they give all these great analogies of, you know, the Vikings used to burn their ships when they arrived there, all that sort of stuff. But what you're <laughs> saying now, that's changed. Well,
1: the, and the data shows it, you know, like the, the what's interesting is the capital that went into rounds that were 250 million or more. So these are big rounds for big companies, went up 900% last year. So, like, that's just quashed any notions that Europeans are not prepared to, to think big. So, like, if you're actually on the ground here is what I would say, like, it's actually a very exciting time to be a European entrepreneur. And there's definitely this sort of inflection point that we're at, you know, on the ground. Like, it took decades to get to a trillion dollars worth of value in startups across Europe, right, to one trillion. yeah. But in the last two years alone, we've gone from one trillion to three trillion. Right. So there was a lot of groundwork, I would say, that had to be done yeah. first. Right. In Europe. But I actually think we're on the first, you know, innings of the journey in terms of, of of where we are. You know, now there is still some policy and cultural things on a European level, you know, that, that I would acknowledge. And I think we need to talk about as well.
0: Before we talk about the, the, the problems that can be fixed, okay, let's talk about Ireland, because we have this very strange structure of our tech industry which is that we've got this very top-heavy, as you know, multinational presence, which is creating yeah. all sorts of opportunities for thousands and thousands of people, creating thousands and thousands of products, et cetera. But in a way, we don't seem to have had huge amount of breakthrough companies, our own companies coming through. Give me, give me a sense of what the lie of the land is.
1: Well... I mean, I think this will be a, a good year. There's about 500 million more that will go into startups than last year. So almost a third more, which is interesting. We have about five unicorns in the country. So you have Intercom, you have Fenergo, you have Let's Get Checked, Wayflyer, etc. They're starting to be created at a, at a better rate. But we have, like, to some degree, had a very government-led ecosystem for the last 20 years. and And that was kind of Because there was no real entrepreneurs to teach entrepreneurs. So it was kind of a necessary starting point. And like it is important to acknowledge that, you know, Enterprise Ireland, et cetera, kind of had to do that kind of work. Yeah. I think what's interesting in terms of where we are, Dave, you asked the question. We've sort of entered into a second phase of the startup ecosystem, which is where it's not government led, but it's actually privately led, government backed. And we're trying to get to this last phase of the game, which is self sustaining. Yeah. That's where there's just such a flywheel effect, kind of like where we, what Silicon Valley has, where you sort of don't need so much uh, government intervention. And I think, I think we sort of crossed that mark. I mean, we run the National Accelerator now, which is a bit of a marker of that. Whereas for the last decade, it was run by a consortium of Dublin universities. We run it with a, a network of privately led regional hubs. And sort of therein lies a sort of an example of like, now there's entrepreneurs running um, more and more activity in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And that's not a linear progression. It starts to accelerate from there, which is which is an exciting phase I think that we're entering into.
0: Well, I mean you see it in, you see it if, if you go back to the renaissance, you know, uh, if you go back to any period of rapid economic innovation, what it tends to it's not surprising humans learn from each other. We're great copycats. Actually humans are yeah. or essentially we are copycats, right? And that's what one of the the geniuses of humans are. We see, like, oh that's nice. I think I'll copy that, right? We're impersonators. That's what we do, right? And we do it all the time. So it's exactly the same when it comes to innovation that you know you have a good idea, I copy it. Somebody else copies my iteration of that. And and it, it, it tends to work in clusters. So you've got your your Florentine cluster, you know, in the banking world. And then of course that moves up to Amsterdam in finance. And then that moves across to Germany in finance and printing. And then that moves across. You know, So what you see is this all the time. Where do you think Dublin is at this stage? Or does it actually matter where the stuff happens?
1: Uh, No, and I think you're seeing much more decentralization away from Dublin, you know, Uh, and that's part of what we tried to do is, we, you know, it's not just running in Dublin. We actually, you know, when we were thinking about how we ran NDRC, this national startup accelerator, we actually looked quite a lot at at what the IRFU had done. You know, 20 years ago, we were the second rate rugby nation and they kind of sat down and they said, you know, how could we be number one in the world? And what they did was they sort of regionalized the whole model. They had these kind of international world-class training, but they did it. You had Munster, you had Leinster, you had Connacht, you had Ulster, doing feeder programs through, right? And this idea that we can't be just drawing from a Dublin thing. And so... You know, it took 20 years, right? But actually we did it. We became number one ranked in the world in rugby, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We convincingly beat the all blacks. It wasn't a fluke. Yep. And so we looked at that, and that's actually exactly how we run the entrepreneurial model now with the accelerator, which is you have these programs operating in these regional hubs, sending through not rugby players but but entrepreneurs into the into the national piece. So I actually think it's important that it it isn't a Dublin centric thing. And of course, obviously, with 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 COVID, with with all the kind of remote working, et cetera, all of that has made that a lot more feasible to happen. But it is that sense that we can go from being sort of a second rate nation in, you know, on the sporting pitch. And actually, if we take a long term mindset, it can be done, you know, and and to some degree, we did that as well with with FDI, right? Like we were a second rate economic nation
0: absolutely and and we and we brought in other people's capital and their know-how and and you know there's lots of people have uh, bemoaned that but as i always say imagine had we not done that imagine had we not done for example FDI. where would we be now i mean and, and that's that's that, and that's the key like it's it, it's a counterfactual but the idea is like had we not in ireland decided okay no capital we better importer we better make it cheap how do we do that well we don't tax it as much as everybody else we bring it in had we not done that, I think this country would still be incredibly stagnant. And there's no, there's no evidence to suggest anything else. So how do you move? This is the thing, Patrick, before we go. How do you move from that FDI model where you have the companies, you have the employees, you have the entrepreneurs within these large companies, and how do you drift towards a startup where you begin to generate and own the wealth rather than a slightly extractive industry which is the multinationals come here they pay people well but ultimately the wealth goes elsewhere
1: well i think it starts in the same way that we started on the fdi journey you know we had a very clear economic vision that we wanted to create an economic model and we went about tuning our economic and fiscal policies towards that goal and and actually you know, what's happening in France right now is actually very interesting with Ma- Macron. And I think there's probably a lot we can learn from that in terms of answering that question. In 2017, he was elected, right? Yep. And he, he, he vowed to make France a startup nation, right? And he he had this very specific goal that he laid down in the same speech. He said he wanted 25 unicorns by 2025, right? And then he cut the ribbon on the largest startup hub in, in the world, this cathedral of entrepreneurship, right? Literally a 1,000 startups under one roof. It's called Station F in France. And then he went around creating the best po- possible policy environments that he could around talent, around visa, around share options. He revamped that. The other thing that he did was he realized the Americans were, were a bit afraid of uh, you know the mythics of French taxes and strikes. So he went about courting them in in the, in the sort of the classic way that probably only French can do, you know, bringing investors to the Elysee Palace in Versailles, you know, sort of no doubt giving them the, the best wine. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You
1: know, And uh, but it was all part of the plan, right? And he, he then realized that it's a volume game, right? So the French directly invest in about 300 startups a year. He quadrupled that. And as he rides into his fifth year now, Macron as, has, is a situation where there'll be a doubling of the amount of money that goes into startups from 5 billion to 10 billion, right? He already has 20 of his 25 unicorns. He's about to take on the EU presidency, and he's already laid down that we need 10 decacorns at, a, at the European level by 2030. And so, I, look, I, to answer I your a question, decacorn, I, think, I, take,
0: I, take, I take a decacorn as a very big unicorn.
1: A, a Decacorn is a $100 billion startup, yeah. Right. So, okay. so that's very he's laying one, down yeah. these kind of newer ambitions. John, the podcast, so is only, think, it's, only, it's only around the corner for us. Absolutely. You're that's way past where the conversation the goes, I suppose, after you have all the unicorns, you know, in yeah. your stable. But I think what, what the story of France has been dramatic because it started with very clear leadership, a very clear economic vision. You know, tuning all of the fiscal policies around that, consistent follow through, and recognizing that this is a game that that can and should be won. And I think Ireland has a lot to learn from that. You know, the the reality is we do need to consider life after 12 and a half. And we need to reflect on, well, look, if we're going to play the same game, uh, you know, the same way, can we expect the same economic prosperity? Because the reality is that, you know, while we won big on FDI, and I think you know i think we can continue to win i don't i actually don't think it's an either or game by yeah. the way i actually think one strengthens the other Absolutely. you know one is synergistic with the other because you have this kind of revolving door thing in in silicon valley but 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 we need to get focused on the vision of us and and we need to go at it with the same clarity that we went with the fdi vision and there's a lot of policy changes um, and cultural changes that need to probably happen around it as well.
0: What needs to be done? Give us a quick a quick checklist of things that you would like to see done before we wrap up.
1: Well, look, we had one of the best policy environments in the world if you're an FDI, but we're coming off a pretty bad base from policy perspective, visa, investor relief, share options that all need to be overhauled and become best in the world. You know, I think at actually at a European level, we probably you know need to think culturally about the fact that when Google went public, right, or when Facebook went public, they created a thousand millionaires. In each in each instance, right? There was a, there was an Irish VC, Finn Murphy, talking about this. And he, if you look at Klarna, which is the darling of European startups, right? They're valued at almost fifty billion quid. Right. Only seventy-five employees, right, will be made millionaires. So a thousand with Google, seventy-five with our best one of our best European examples, because. In Europe, we don't have that same culture of employee ownership, do we? I mean, that kind of yeah. probably dates back a long way. You probably know better than me, but that's sort of continuing on because the, the problem with it is is you need those staff. They become the next founders of the next generation and the next angel investors, and that creates Precisely. this flywheel yeah. effect. So there's policy changes, but there's also cultural things that we need to be clear on at a European level. That we need to think about, and you know, I sit on the National Competitiveness and Productivity Council, and Francis Rouen, the chair there, was talking about if Jeff Bezos's parents were Irish, they probably would have given them a a deposit for a house rather than a deposit or money to start a company. Now, part of that is you know because of the housing crisis and the infrastructure, but 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 part of it is because we focus on wealth creation through property, probably historically as well. So there's all these cultural things that need to change. You Patrick, know? you
0: will hear no denials of that in this podcast because I've always, <laughs> this has been one of my, my bugbears for many years, the idea that you know we, we regard it as easier to become wealthy from the most unproductive asset in the world called land than we regard it to be the most productive asset in the world, which is our brains and yeah. our enthusiasm and our energy, which is actually... What makes the world tick? But that's an entirely different... Just in terms of policy, just you, you were talking about share options, you were talking about visas. So are you saying that we should actually open up visas for exceptionally talented individuals? We should go out and look for them and say, look, you can have a home here. You can come and do your own thing here. Is that, that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so on the visa side, what Macron
1: realized, obviously, within Europe and the EU, we've got pretty good visas. What he realized is we need a great visa for non-EU talent to move into this this Europe easily, right? So he pioneered this in France, and we we need to do more on, on the visa front. But the other piece as well is if you're starting a company, right? It's very attractive in the UK for an investor to give someone their first 50 grand or 25 grand or 10 grand. In Ireland, it's not attractive at all. so we need better investor tax relief, right, right. to make sure that people are incentivized to put money into a startup rather as than as opposed, a, a as opposed to an apartment,
0: an apartment block or uh, uh, yeah, I know exactly. exactly.
1: So you, know, you, you you know the, the, the thing I would say is if we have an economic vision, our tax code needs to reflect that, right? And yeah. it needs to align towards that. So, so you have it on share options. If you want to join a startup right now, okay, because part of it is just pulling somebody in, we have this very dated share share options thing, which is actually not used all that much in Ireland, right? Because it's just so difficult to use. Which makes it very difficult if you're an entrepreneur to attract people out of Google, out of Facebook. Yeah, to take the plunge.
0: To take the plunge. Yeah.
1: To take the plunge. So, if we make some changes around visas, share options, that first 50 grand and investor relief, I believe we'll create a better flywheel effect. But the reality is, we had the best FDI policy in the world from a tax perspective. But we do not have it from a startup perspective, and we cannot expect to win the game of startups if that continues to be the reality. We need to go out and play to win, economically speaking, and we need to to tune our entire model towards that.
0: It's really on the nose for our for for the listenership because sometimes you don't you get a sense of who's listening. I know it's now it's hundreds of thousands of people every week, which is amazing. But there yeah. is this there is this sense of like fuck it, we can do this ourselves. And, and particularly your generation and the, the lot, even the younger generation, there is a real sense of, you know, why, why don't we turn this place into a startup pub? You know, why, why don't we do yeah. it?
1: I mean, the, 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 one of the big ambitions for me, David, was, you know, 10 years ago, Patrick and John left.
0: Yeah. And I was like, I want to create
1: a place where the naked kid like that, who's 19, doesn't leave. And yeah. we this one guy, Greg, came in to us this year. He's 19. And the investors have thrown money at a million quid. He's, right. I mean, literally working out of his bedroom. He's phenomenal talent, right? And when initially we met him, his plan was to go. And then he ended up coming in to us and doing the accelerator. And he's like, fuck it, I'm actually going to do it from here. Brilliant. And that for me was a marker, like personal satisfaction of saying that's where we need to be, right? That they don't feel the need to get on a plane and leave if they're the smartest of us, right? Patrick, thank you very much for that. That
0: was really
1: fascinating. Thanks for that. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. It was great chatting to you, David. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree.
2: Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Well, at least Patrick was a little bit more upbeat and positive about innovation in Europe and Ireland than our friend Mike Vertick was.
0: Well, no, it's great. I, I think it's, there's obviously something happening, right? Something big is happening all over Europe, right? Yeah. And it's just that this is the story now. I think the previous story was definitely one where Europe and Ireland, everyone was lagging behind, but as Patrick was saying there are there's estimation that there's going to be one or two unicorns out of Dublin next year etc. Mm. Now the question I suppose let's link it back to what we were talking about at the very top is this energy that's coming out of Europe the tail end of this extraordinary liquidity cycle that I was talking about where at the very end of the cycle there's so much money sloshing around that investors take up anything right and basically Early stage investing is a highly risky thing to do because lots of companies don't make it. Sure. So is this the tail end? That's the first question, right? And if you look again at the figures, you know, there was $9 trillion worth of new credit extended since the pandemic, right? Now, wow. that is a phenomenal amount wow, of money. Is, the yeah. United States economy is about a $22 trillion economy, Yeah. right? So the question is, is this story a function of that little bits of that liquidity just seeping into Europe eventually? That's the first one. Right. And the second one then is, are European companies creating real unicorns? Or are they creating kind of middle-of-the-road companies that will eventually be bought by big American companies right. back to our mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, yeah, That's really the proof of the pudding. And let's watch that this year. 2020, like the Skibbereen Eagle having its eye on the Tsar of Russia, <laughs> the Dave McWilliams Podcast will have its eye on tech startups. <laughs> Talk to you next week. While I still have you listening, thank you so much. Thank you really so much for your time this year. John and I are bowled over at the amount of people who are listening. You're giving us your time, and that is an amazingly generous. Thing to do so we really appreciate it it's been a hoot 2022 will be even more dynamic won't it john it's even sure more will. dynamic Who sure will it sure will and what we're going to do in january because let's get our head around january new year's resolutions what are you going to do john's going to learn the drums i am i'm going to learn how to play football which is a bit late in my career some diy some diy and if you want to learn economics Do it with us here on the podcast. We have two courses. If you join up with Patreon, we have two macroeconomic courses. They're basically the courses I give in Trinity in an audio form. They are macroeconomics, they're about international relations, they're about money, they're about finance, they're about psychology, they're about behavioral economics, and they're about evolutionary economics, which I believe will become the economics of the future. That's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Sign up in January. Talk to you next
2: week. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide worldwide
1: In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.